Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 33. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 11th episode of season 2, Look at the Princess, part 1. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Look at the Princess Part 1. While traveling through space, Moya is targeted by automated pulse cannons near a group of PK separatist colonies. After a four-hour negotiation, the crew, with Rigel's help, is allowed to go down to the royal planet in time for the coronation. After kissing a pretty girl, John finds out that he's genetically compatible with the crown princess and is expected to marry her. As Scorpius and Ascaran's spy enter the picture, John feels his options narrowing and is forced to make a tough decision. Look at the princess! Welcome to part one of three of Farscape's epic fairy tale adventure. It is amazing. Oh man, this multi-parter literally has everything in it. You have a princess in need of a prince, you have a love triangle, you have unspoken feelings, you have politics, you have betrayal, you have sex, you have an arch nemesis, and an impossible choice. So seriously, look at the princess trilogy is some seriously good television and some really good storytelling. And in part one, we get the setup where John is shoved between a rock and a hard place where he has to choose between love and actually staying alive. Yeah, I'd forgotten how good this was. Don't get me wrong. I remembered it was really good, but I'd forgotten how good it was. It's amazing. So oh my God, it's so amazing. Oh my goodness. It's everything. And like the setup is so good. It's a kind of... They pack a lot into this episode, too, because I was realizing when I was watching, pretty much the exposition happens in, like, a space of three minutes at the very beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. It's really well done. We just did, a couple episodes ago, the body switch episode, and in that one, we were kind of like, oh, yeah, John and Aaron are totally boning, but then in this episode, you kind of get to the real meat of what Aaron and John are doing, which is that they are having trouble connecting emotionally. Mm-hmm. And what better way to force them to do that and to force them to discuss their feelings than by being like, John has to marry the princess. Yeah, yeah. And the, the what's so great about this episode and this whole three episode set is the plot is really tight. Nothing feels contrived. It all feels like it's forming organically out of the world building of the universe that's been created. Like there's the peacekeepers and then there's Sebastians who aren't peacekeepers that have broken away. I mean, that kind of makes sense from a world building perspective. And then you have this political setup. You have these warring factions that are coming in. You have the arrival of John's arch nemesis coming to be the terrible enemy and and the wings to force these decisions into place. And it's just like all these big things going on and then it zeroes down into that emotional story where the heart of it is John and Aaron are, you know, they have this connection, they have this chemistry, they like each other, they both like each other and it's very clear that they do, but they are cannot get it together. And it's a very difficult struggle that goes on and that's what holds this whole big space opera of episodes together and it's really cool and it's it's so well done oh my god it's so well done uh it's so excellent i think that the other other trilogy that farscape did wasn't really explicitly a trilogy because it was 
Bugs Life Nerve Hidden Memory. Mm-hmm. This episode really, you know, it said it's Look at the Princess Part One, followed by Look at the Princess Part Two and Part Three. So it really does feel more like a three hour, you know, episode of television. Yeah. It feels like a movie. Yeah. yeah it feels like a movie. I think that if they'd done it today, they probably just would have done like a special. Do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. it feels a lot like, you know, a Doctor Who special or something where it's like, this is going to be longer and this is going to be, you know, bigger than the normal series. That's what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And part of that comes from, I think, the whole episode's arc. I mean, I, I still feel like the end of season one was conceived as a whole, but there's definitely like there's Bone to be Wild, which is a lot of reaction and still kind of its own weird little standalone that happens in the middle of that whole arc. Whereas this is just concentrated storytelling of this one mega arc that's then broken down into three. And mm-hmm. each episode on its own has its own mini arc. Like here you have John facing the choice of whether or not to marry the princess and whether he should deal with the consequences of that choice. And that's the main conflict that arises and so each of the episodes do have do have a beginning middle end but they all fit together very tightly into this overarching arc Mm -hmm. yeah and this is kind of what separates farscape from episodic sci-fi which is that when you do a two-parter normally it's kind of like the two-parter and then there's kind of no consequences to that but this three-parter really ties back into everything that's come before and it ties back into what will come and yes. it just it really kind of cinches it in with the narrative of the story narrative of the show as a whole for example we have kind of the recurring theme here of hope which is something that dargo has talked about a lot and that john has also talked about a lot and it just kind of is a theme throughout the show and this john in this episode reminded me a lot of the john we kind of saw in My Three Crichtons, which mm-hmm. we all know I didn't super care for, but we're kind of coming back to those narrative beats of him feeling overwhelmed, him feeling pressured, him feeling like the universe is out to get him. Yeah. And that's a, that's definitely a major theme, the universe is out to get him of the show as a whole. And I I really like that that you brought that up because everything that's come before, we have this episode is one of the linchpins of the Scorpius storyline and the John and Aaron storyline of the entire show. You cannot have the story of Farscape of its four seasons and a miniseries without this, these episodes. Like, they are essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for certain. Well, so let's dive in. The episode starts kind of cute. Aaron and John are in his module, and she's teaching him how to do some piloting because Mm -hmm. Aaron is a pilot and John is a scientist and she's embarrassed at his flying skills yeah his flying (laughs) skills are not up to PK par let's put it like that (laughs) so they are in very close quarters inside the module with Aaron in front and John behind and John keeps getting distracted by the scent of Aaron's hair which leads to kissing Mm mm-hmm and flirty. And flirty and all these adorable couple things, but it doesn't last very long. The kiss happens, it starts, Aaron's into it, and then she's suddenly not. And she's like, no. And mm-hmm. she gets out of there. So let's play that first conversation. No! No! I will not I'm be rich. a slave to your hormones! My hormones? Hey, I was lips, you were tongue! Oh. <sighs> 
Why did you do your hair? To see if you'd notice. Standing at attention. Well, I'll let Zan know that you find her oils pleasing. It's you I find pleasing. You want some advice? Not particularly. Makes me want to give it to you even more. Hey! There's too much pressure. She's scared of the future. So why not just live in the moment? You come up with that yourself? Go fast with the body, slow with the soul. Maybe you should find someone like that. Come on. <laughs> She's advice is like off the chart this episode, I want to point out. She's like dropping truth bombs just left and right. Yep. Yep. One of my favorite lines, I just want to say this because I just like it, is is when John says standing at attention. I just <laughs> I just love that. I feel like Aaron is here is like the teenager who never got to be a teenager, right? She's trying out all these things. Like she doesn't want the guy to know she likes her, she likes him, but she does. So she's trying to get his attention, but she doesn't want him to know she, know she wants his attention. And it's like that, you know, that whole teenage high school kind of convoluted thinking about boys and sex and relationships and all these things, but still not ready to be like fully committed to it all because so, she... Because as a peacekeeper, you know, she never got that. There was sex, and that was it. There was none of this relationship gooey, mm-hmm. gooey emotions thing. What's that, huh? So I feel like that's kind of how I see Aaron's, how Aaron is approaching this situation. And of course, John is like, oh, I'm so there. I'm so there for you right now. And that's, that's just like standing at attention. It's just like, yeah, he's paying attention to you all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part as much as anything, why Aaron is ducking out is like that focused attention of somebody that she likes is just so intimidating. So do you think that given their previous interactions and given that they have had sex and given that they, you know, are kind of in a place where they're comfortable with each other? I mean, I'm curious why you think she spends this entire episode alternately pushing him away and then like pulling him close. I think there's the double impulse going on of she does like him and she does care about him a lot as friends, if nothing else. The other part of Aaron, because she has been burned so badly, like we saw in The Way We Weren't, she's also very protective of herself and she doesn't want to admit that she cares about him. And so there's this protective bubble that she she hasn't been able to break through those barriers. She has a wall in place. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. And, and she's trying to protect herself from that. And it's a very scary thing, opening yourself up to somebody. I mean, it's one of the hardest things I think we do as people is become emotionally intimate with somebody else. Cause you're giving them so much power over you and you're giving them all the tools to hurt you in these most private fundamental ways. And I think she's very much protecting herself against that, even as she's helpless not to fight for him. And because she does care about him so much. Interesting. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of struggled with that because on the one hand, I personally felt like it was just that she's in a place emotionally where she's really into John, but she also understands that their life is dangerous and that it's not a sure thing. 
in terms of them having a happily ever after. Like, I don't think she can conceptualize what a happily ever after would look like for them. Mm. And unlike Chiana and Dargo, who are able to really live in the present and just, you know, kind of be like, okay, this is what we're doing now. We really like each other. We're having a lot of fun. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. I think that Aaron really struggles with what what happy ever after would look like for her and John. And I think that that's kind of what this is here is she's saying, I don't want to be a slave to your hormones. I don't want this just to be a sex thing. But then she can't really figure out what else there would be for them. Yeah. It's like she knows what she doesn't want, but doesn't know what she wants. Is that yeah. kind of what you mean? Yeah, I think so. Because we kind of see her interactions throughout this episode as as her kind of bouncing between not wanting things. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she hears something and she's like, no, we're not going to do that. Or like, well, you know, now you're leaving me with no options. And it's kind of like, well, if you were able to verbalize what you wanted or if you were able to explicitly tell John, I want to be with you mm -hmm. and know what that looked like. But I, I just think she can't do that at the, this yeah. point. Yeah, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good point because as a peacekeeper, there is no happily ever after. There is you fight, you sometimes screw around with people, and then you die. You're a soldier. She's a grunt. She's literally cannon fodder. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a story of how that's going to play out, or you don't have an example of how that's going to play out, then you don't have a frame of reference for it. She doesn't have she doesn't have our cultural media, our movies or whatever that give us a cultural framework of what happily ever after is. Mm -hmm. It's there's there's no representation for her that she has had in her culture to show her that. And then, as you say, they're in this super dangerous situation and and also she's been burned in the past by caring too much. And so I feel like that whole combination is just rife for self doubt. Yeah. Yeah, because it feels like she's almost she was okay with the physical when it was just physical, but I think she is right that John is now putting this like, you know, Western, you know, earth Western <laughs> sensibilities onto <laughs> their relationship of like, now we're going to be emotionally open with each other and sex is going to have emotions and we're going to like really love each other and care about it. And Shiana's like, whoa, slow down there, cowboy, <laughs> you know, because yeah. Aaron doesn't have that narrative. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. last time she genuinely liked a guy he got killed by a space bug and the time before that <laughs> she turned him into craze so like i feel like her batting average isn't great so far yeah that's pretty much sums it up actually before we leave this quote and continue with the plot i just want to point out that the music of this episode is really awesome I love when Shiana goes up behind John in that scene we just listened to and she's like you gotta go fast with the body slow with the soul you, you have this I don't know this jazzy background music that plays to shift the mood one of our listeners pointed out that season two is when Guy Gross the composer for the show from here to the end of the series joins which is pretty cool so I really enjoyed listening to the music that changed the tone of a lot of things going on in this episode yeah yeah, it was all spot on. And I think that music is one of those things that you notice it pretty much only when it's either like excellent or when it's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So Moya comes into a region of space that has these, there's basically a defense net and they stop and they basically is a border interrogation where they talk with this counselor Tino 
who doesn't want to let them in because the peacekeeper breakaway colonies are going through a political transition and they've closed the borders. And while the negotiation is happening on screen with Tino, you have everybody except Rigel and John talking and trying to let them be a let go and or go to the planet to trade. And John is keeping Rigel quiet because they don't want Rigel ruining things. And it's not until Rigel bites John's hand and enters into negotiations. And then Tino sees John, who looks like a male sebation, very important plot point, that he finally agrees to let them go and let them come to the planet. I do want to point out, so the negotiations were theoretically going on for four hours, right? Was John just sitting there with his hand over Rigel's mouth for four hours? Yeah, you'd think Rigel would have bit his hand sooner. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does it know. because, like, the Tino's like, well, it's a cor- it's coronation time. We don't let anybody on. I think Moya maybe is desperate for food again or something like that because I can't, I, I don't particularly understand why they needed to go down so badly. Yeah. Well, th- the way I think about it is space is big, even when you have super fast travel like Moya does and the region does. But given that their recent experience with Home on the Remains, that, yeah, they go for supplies anytime that they could. Yeah. Because you Rigel's know, like, I come bearing gifts. I am Rigel, Domino the 16th. And- <laughs> I love Rigel in this episode. Oh, he's so good. Actually, to be honest, like pretty much the entire Moya ensemble this episode are just fabulous. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So they get down to the planet and everybody is macking on everybody else. <laughs> it's like the best party ever, according to John, who right now is fighting with Aaron. And so he's like trying to make her jealous and, you know, just kind of being a dick, actually. He's being and- such a jerk. <laughs> but he has no problem kissing random women who want to kiss him. Aaron, on the other hand, is like, oh, hell no, you, this is stupid. And I actually kind of love, she hangs out with Rigel at the bar, and then they're talking politics. It's yeah. like the Rigel-Aaron odd couple again, and it's great. Well, and this is the point where we get all the backstory crammed together, because it's this giant party. And so the backstory basically breaks down like this. They have this magic potion on the planet where... You put it on your tongue and then you kiss somebody else to see if you're genetically compatible. And genetically compatible doesn't mean can you or can you not have kids. It means will your kids be diseased or have any sort of birth defects or whatever? Because I was trying to figure out what it tested for. And obviously it wouldn't test for because everybody on these planets are sebation, right? Mm-hmm. So it isn't the majority made, is yeah. Yeah, like the majority is sebation. So it wouldn't be testing for are two random species compatible. It's checking are these two sebations going to have kids that aren't going to have, you know, birth defects essentially. Right. Right. That's kind of what I took away from it too. But it does check for cross species stuff because we mm-hmm. do see um, Chiana and Dargo, who are, as John finds out by accidentally barging in on them, definitely banging like bounties rabbits right now and loving it. <laughs> it's awesome. They're so cute together. Oh, my God. But they try it out, too. And I actually pulled that if we want to listen to it. Yeah, let's take a listen. Hey, it's just a game for us, Dargo, okay? We don't play by the rules they do. The truth is we're not compatible. Only our DNA. Not the parts that make us feel flesh. 
So the two of them do the tongue kiss thing and it doesn't match them as compatible, which is not too surprising considering that their species are so fundamentally different. You have a Luxon and an Abari. Mm -hmm. But what struck me about that is the Dargo seems, you know, he's disappointed by it. Like it means that because their genetics don't line up together, it means like the relationship is doomed or something. And I really love Chiana's response there where she's like, no, you know, we're going to, do what we're going to do because it's it's not about being able to have kids that's not what makes our relationship special it's the fact that we're giving each other pleasure and we enjoy each other and we enjoy each other's company mm-hmm. and i think listeners will probably want to pay a little bit of attention to kind of the difference there in their feelings about the relationship because dargo kind of sees this as like while he's enjoying it he actually has this moment with john earlier where he's like john i you know, my life has been shit. And Chiana makes me feel incredible. So do not mess this up for me. I love that. I know. And John's like, whatever, dude. Like, whatever floats your boat, you know? <laughs> but I think Dargo has always kind of taken his sexual partners immediately into kind of relationship mode. Yeah. Which is not somewhere that Chiana lives. No. So... No, it's not. Because... You know, all the people that Dargo's been interested in, we have What's-Her-Name in Back and Back to the Future. We have the other What's-Her-Name in Vetus Mortis. I'm blanking on everybody's names right now. But, you know, he cares about them. Like, he defends them. He wants them to have everything that they need. He's very much immediately jumps into that caring boyfriend mode. Mm-hmm. And he cares quite a bit about Shiana. And, I mean, I think you get some of that from... Uh, home on the remains when they're kind of negotiating what they are to each other like he wants to protect her from the dude who's in charge you Mm -hmm. know he's he's very much already emotionally invested whether or not he he wants to be or chiana wants him to be yeah yeah exactly and i think that chiana's opened herself up to a relationship but kind of just like she told john like quick with the body slow with the soul and i think that she's taken this whole slow thing or she's taking this whole soul thing slowly. But also I think it just is a difference in how they do relationships right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So anyway, I don't know. Listeners keep a, keep an eye out on that because that will come back not to give anything away, but that's something that's going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) So they're at the party and this is also at the point in time when we are introduced to the Scarrants. Let's talk about how they look first so you can identify them. They're the ones with the big heads. They're scaly. They look like giant, ugly, lizard-type weird things. Mm -hmm. And there's an emissary there who's a diplomat, I guess, who is helping out the crown prince, who is the younger son who wants the throne but will not get it if his sister finds a mate. Because part of the laws on this planet are that the the heir to the throne must be married to a compatible partner so they can ensure the line of succession before they can become the official crown princess, crown prince. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's the crown princess. And so her younger brother has conspired with the Scarens or this scary other alien race by poisoning his sister's DNA such that she is not compatible with any other sebation. Mm-hmm. And they've brought in suitors and they've tried to find other people compatible. But so far, no, nothing. Yeah, because a major point in this episode is continuity of 
leadership in this royal family and also that that it's very important that the colonies stay neutral between the war in the Scarens versus the Peacekeepers. Because we've been introduced to Scorpius and we find out that Scorpius is half Scaren, half Sebation. And it's interesting that he decided to ally himself with the Peacekeepers in this situation, given how the Peacekeepers feel about genetics. So we finally see the other half of Scorpius, the mm-hmm. the the other half of his heritage, basically. Yeah, yeah, because way back when he was confronting Crace, we kind of saw him take on those scaren aspects of like the deep voice, threatening, physically overpowering, and now we learn why he is like that and why he looks so much different than the other peacekeepers. Yep, yeah. So that's the political situation that John finds himself in when Counselor Tino walks up with a pretty lady who wants to do the kissy thing and he does and it works and oops you kiss the princess now you have to marry her <laughs> in summary yes in summary that's exactly what happens okay I do want to point out that there is one kiss <gasps> oh I forgot before, and this is probably before John kisses the princess. And this is probably it is before it. the most memorable kiss in the entire three episodes. In fact, arguably, this is the most memorable moment in the entire three episodes. And Love it. We're going to play it, even though it's if you get a chance, go back and watch it. It's amazing. If we find a clip <laughs> on YouTube, we'll post it in the show notes because perfect. Everything about this is perfect. All right, here we go. Have you lost your mind? Do it. Sweet. I'm so pleased. Me too. (laughs) How unexpected. (laughs) I wish you both the very best of fortune. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... Aaron keeps getting approached by like guys that want to mac on her and and I guess the society like literally has no room for just, you know, fuck buddies. Excuse my French because like everybody <laughs> apparently wants to like mate and have babies with each other. So yes. so she keeps getting hit on by guys and after turning away like her fifth or sixth guy, this other guy comes up and he's like waving the little vial of kiss serum <laughs> and she like she like takes it from she like has some already and she takes it and she puts some on on Rigel and some on herself and Rigel is like are you crazy and then they kiss <laughs> to Rigel's credit he plays along with her he goes through with it and he's like I'm pleased too and the other guy walks away <laughs> like weirded out but he leaves him alone after that so go Rigel for being a good wing person I know well Rigel is just fabulous he gets along well with the empress which I guess when two monarchs of empires that size get together you kind of know how to get along he hit it off yeah and also he's just gives really good advice we you know we get a return of Rigel the diplomat Mm mm-hmm so John after kissing the princess is like oh hell no I'm not marrying anyone and it's basically starts the whole conflict of that he has throughout that drives the rest of the episode of will he or won't he marry the princess and the reasons against it are he just showed up today he don't know her he doesn't want to be the leader of the sebation breakaway colonies free world or whatever or co-ruler 
and he obviously likes Aaron and he's even though they're fighting right now you know he still kind of wants that to happen and you know he's got this life on Moya he wants to go back to earth all these really wonderful reasons and completely valid reasons he doesn't want to do it he ends up being brought before Katrala who's the princess and the empress who is a badass mofo I gotta say yeah she knows what she this is what I'm saying about I think Farscape just does women in general pretty well but usually they play the empress like even though I mean she's cold as ice as we see in this following clip it's like a smart sort of cold Do you oh know what she's I mean? brilliant yeah she knows what she wants she is ruling her empire she's going to keep them safe by any means necessary and she will crush anyone who gets in her way it's beautiful i love it yeah i mean i think it's just i think it's really well done so the empress has uh someone up her sleeve i have traveled a long long way just to see you again oh I hate to say that you wasted your time, Scorpio, but you have. You know that no matter what you think, the risk between us need not be terminal. Go away, Scorpio. It's over. Find another girlfriend. <laughs> now, don't let her frighten you, John. Hmm? Now, you make the correct decision. My daughter or that abomination? Choose. Scorpius. Return of Scorpius. And he's just as creepy this time around because he's all play acting at being really friendly. And I think it speaks well to the Empress that even though I'm sure the way Scorpius presented it was like, oh, I'm just bringing, you know, I just want to bring back an old asset. You know, he's a good friend of mine. And I'm sure, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure he played it very, I'm sure he downplayed it. He's an excellent diplomat, yeah. But I think the Empress saw immediately through him and knew that Scorpius would frighten John into submission. Yeah, yeah. I just love everything about Scorpius's entrance into this episode. First of all, the Peacekeeper Command Carrier shows up, and Zan, who is on Moya, they realize that because they get scanned, and they try to draw them away by starbursting away. We'll get back to Zan and Pilot and Moya probably Probably almost next episode. <laughs> next episode, because they're they're really just set up for at this point and their their little journey. And then Scorpius shows up at the bar where Dargo is still, while three of the others have left, and you know, Dargo grabs a vase ready to strike him down and but Scorpius has a proposal. And meanwhile, John is at the palace and doesn't know this yet, and then he shows up in mm-hmm. that scene we just heard. And I didn't capture it because it's all sound effects and not as interesting to listen to in audio only but john gets flashbacks of his torture and i feel like it's part to remind the audience what happened to him and who scorpius is and all that but there's this also this real visceral feeling of if he's having a flashback like he's having a mm-hmm. ptsd flashback to the torture he and pain he went through at scorpius's hands and being helpless and scorpius wants the wormhole information and was sticking things in his brain and oh poor john oh my god poor john i know when it's not unexpected that he sees scorpius because dargo ran into scorpius and then dargo told john and he dargo was like oh he did yeah yeah. dargo says okay i can't uh, remember the order of things yeah no dargo told john that scorpius proposed oh i'll let everybody go and i won't hurt john as long as he lets me into the wormhole information (laughs) and so john is kind of like all 
I think he's already mentally prepared to have to deal with Scorpius after okay. they leave. Okay. But I think the fact that the Empress springs him on it and really presents it as, because I think John was seeing it as like a, we will deal with Scorpius after I'm not marrying the princess. Mm-hmm. And now John realizes that, nope, it's an if or situation. Yeah. Even if John knows that Scorpius around, that's very different from being confronted with him. Yeah. You know, even if you're sort of prepared for it, just because like all that sense memory wrapped into into that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't just... know. And I mean, especially having Scorpius play it all like their buddies. You know yeah. what I mean? Gives him a hug. Ugh. Ugh. Well, and that's actually the reason that the Scarin and the Prince are also so against John. It's not just because John presents an opportunity for Katrala keeping the throne. It's because they see Dargo talking to Scorpius. So they immediately assume that John is a Scorpius spy, which actually, I don't know. It was interesting to me that the Empress was smart enough to know that John was frightened by Scorpius and that Scorpius would make a better threat rather than her thinking that maybe John was a PK spy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she has spies all over the place, too. Yeah, that's true. And also, we don't know what Scorpius told her on the outset either, which could have swayed things one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So John (laughs) immediately goes to Catrala and proposes because he's between a rock and Scorpius, and he would (laughs) much rather marry the princess. Yes, and basically consign his life to this one planet and leave everyone behind rather than go back to being Scorpius's pincushion, mm-hmm. which fair. Yeah, I mean, unarguable. I think that a life in royalty, heck yeah. So Aaron doesn't take the news very well. John immediately goes to talk to her and tries to explain it. And I think it's interesting, like I said, because I don't think Aaron really knows what she wants here because... Mm-hmm. John is like, well, I have to choose marriage. And she's like, no, you don't. We could do something else. And I'm like, what other options are there, Aaron? <laughs> yeah. But then she does go try to find more information, find what's being hidden from them because she thinks that they don't have all the pieces yet, which is true. So she actually is proactively trying to go get information that will help them mm-hmm. find a way out of the situation. So it's not like she's completely inactive. She is trying to do something. She just doesn't have a solution. Yeah. And I just got to say that scene together of them walking afterwards, they're walking down a hall, they're trading basically one word sentences with each other. And it's such a married couple thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're already married in my heart. Anyway, it's just really great to watch their interplay back and forth because they are clearly, they clearly are in tune with each other and Mm -hmm. they still have that chemistry, whether or not they're fighting over this or not. Yeah, because I think 90% of their conversations this episode are just them fighting with each other. Yeah. And it's, I I don't know, it's just an interesting place for them to be, given that we know how good they can be together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one last thing about that conversation before before going on. This is where Drogon, Dragon, Casanova or something, one of the cousins to the royal court, introduces himself to Aaron he's totally hitting on her he totally wants to make out with her and his last name is Casanova oh my god how more obvious could you be writers right (laughs) well I think he's literally supposed to be like the opposite of John do you know what I mean yeah yeah no totally totally I just I love his name because it's just completely transparent and I love it Um, he he comes up in the next episode which is why I bring him up now because we'll see him again in part two yeah so 
pay attention to a lot of the bit characters because the thing that Aaron discovers is that count the counselor Tiro Tyro Tino Tino thank you that counselor Tino and the princess are in love with each other and oh, she, I know. they have such a heartbreaking scene together it's it's like awful because you can see they're both they're both people that have grown up with responsibilities and I don't know. It's it is just this like incredibly painful scene because the princess is literally like begging him, like take me away from here. You're supposed to tell me that you're going to take me away from here and that I don't have to marry this guy, and and yet at the same time, I don't know. I personally kind of got the feeling that even if Tino had said that, she probably still would have gone through with the marriage. Oh, she totally would have. I feel like she is a very responsible person, and that scene spoke to me of that dream of getting out of your life that Mm -hmm. she has or her dream of getting out of her life that she would never follow through on. And it's just that wishful thinking of the situation sucks because when she's with John Crichton and the others, she has got this perfect face of this is what I want. I want to marry you. I want to make this empire work. I want to go through with it. And, and even though we, we now see in this overheard eavesdrop scene that Aaron through Aaron that she doesn't want that she wants to rule, but she wants to do it with Tino. Mm-hmm. Like it, that speaks to me as someone who's really well put together. And this was just that one moment of, of letting her true feelings out. The weakness. Yeah. Which apparently yeah. they were like totally okay. Macking in front of like everybody. Cause there's like a whole bunch of people around <laughs> when they're having this conversation. <laughs> they're probably an open secret. Obviously. Oh, and you know, yeah, for certain. I don't know. Well, and the other thing that about that scene is it kind of calls back to, Earlier, when John went to t- initially talk to Catralla and then he got, you know, blindsided by Scorpius, is that he'd kind of said something along the lines of like, well, you know, I, I have to choose a life of unhappy, you know, of, of misery for both of us. And she's kind of like, well, I wouldn't have made our lives miserable. And, yeah. it, and it kind of, I don't know, she's so sweet. I love Catralla. I do, too. Yeah, she's she's willing to make the best of a bad situation. Mm hmm. And Aaron, I think, is is really struggling with what to do with this information because kind of instead of seeing it as two other people, like other than her and John, who are having to make a tough situation, she immediately is like, well, this princess doesn't even love him. So and she goes and talks to Chi and Dargo. And Dargo also like gives really good advice this episode. <laughs> All of it was kind of functional, so I don't think we clipped a ton of it. But he and Chiana are hanging out and they're essentially like, well, you know, John's got to do what he's got to do. And she drops some pretty big truth bombs on Aaron that I want to play. Crichton is such a frilling fool. He had no choice. Oh, please. Princess Pretend doesn't even love him. She wants that Tino. You're forgetting about Scorpius. We can hide from him in the barren lands outside the city until he leaves. Marrying her is the only thing that will save Crichton's life, Aaron. Don't you get that? I've had just about enough of you. No, no, no. It's not me that you're mad at. You should have told him how you felt when you had a chance. You don't know anything. Yeah. Well, I know about men. You see that one over there? How many times has he tried to come on to you? What, three? Four? Look, he's he's well-bred, he's rich, handsome, perfect. You're going to let him get away, too. You know why? Oh, go on. Tell me. Because you only want the ones you can't have. So you're going to go to Crichton, you're going to mess with his mind. He's going to be turned over to Scorpius and dead. This marriage is wrong and you both know it. 
So Chiana and Aaron are actually two characters we haven't seen have a whole lot of interaction until now. And that's one of the things I love about this episode, too, is it really starts to bring them into conversation with each other. And they're bringing two perspectives to it. And Chiana is definitely onto something when she's like, you know, you want John, you can't have him. I don't know that it's strictly true that Aaron only wants what she does, what she can't have, because at this point it's true now that John is kind of in the situation that he's stuck in with Katrala. But I think Aaron just wants John. Mm-hmm. And she's going to turn down everything else because it's not John. Everyone else because they're not John. And whereas Chiana's like, you know, it doesn't have to be about one person. You could have anyone you want. Clearly, other people are throwing themselves at you. Mm-hmm. But Aaron is so unrespe- unresponsive to all of that because it's not what she wants. And she's so angry about it. And I think the biggest truth that, that Chiana says here is you're angry at yourself, essentially, is what she's, the subtext is. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't tell John how you felt. And that is really what's eating Aaron up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think Chiana also has the point that... Aaron's going to go, she's going to talk to John, she's going to mess with his head, and then she's going to get John killed. Yeah, And I think that that's kind of the bigger picture that Chiana sees that Aaron can't really see. She can't really see the forest for the trees. They're all so used to getting by by the skin of their teeth and, you know, by coming Mm -hmm. up with a plan on the fly that ends up working that Chiana, who is ever practical, can kind of look at the situation and see... John needs to do this or John is going to die. Those are the two options. And Aaron is still kind of in the doing mode versus Mm -hmm. the figuring out what's actually going on versus the seeing what's actually going on mode. Right. Because she so desperately wants the outcome to be different that she won't admit that there really are not other options at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely true. Mm -hmm. So... Aaron is still trying to do things and she ends up being confronted by the Scarin spy who again is probably there as an air quotes diplomat <laughs> <laughs> but since it's pre- since he helped at this point he helped poison Katrala's DNA you know we know that he's a bad guy and he and Aaron initially have this conversation where he's telling her things to tell Scorpius and at first she kind of tries to be like I don't know Scorpius but then after a while she realizes he's just giving her a ton of information so she's like okay cool I'll tell Scorpius and then he tries to like force her by using he's got this like heat magic thing that like yeah so Scarin's they have a heat gland that can cause it causes the air to shimmer and it apparently makes people tell the truth when they're in the shimmer of it somehow. Farscape magic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I assume it's like really, really painful. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's like I feel like it's like torture and like you they watch they're torturing you until you tell the truth kind of situation. Yeah. So he tries to do it on Aaron, but Aaron is a soldier, so she and he get into a fight, but Scarens are just physically more powerful than Sebations, so she eventually gets overpowered, and then the Empress and Rigel show up. Yes. I really bother with warnings. Consider yourself the beneficiary of Largesse. Empress. Listen carefully, peacekeeper. The longer Crichton plays the part he's been assigned, 
the more likely we'll keep our internal organs internal. Do not dissuade him from this marriage. Thank you, Rigel. I'll do what I think is right. For Crichton or for you? You know things are bad when Rigel is the one that's telling you the good advice. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What I like about this is uh, is the Empress here is the other implicit threat. Like, it's not just that John will die, but if everyone else on the crew gets in the way of the Empress, she's going to make sure that they are not obstacles for having John marry Katrala. Mm -hmm. That seems to me what I hear underneath his words right there, like keeping their internal organs internal. That's talking about the Empress, not the Scarens. Yeah, because this really is Rigel's world. Do you know what I mean? This world oh, yeah. of implicit threats, this world of people that are just so powerful beyond imagining. It's yeah. kind of, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I have I seen, <laughs> yeah, but I've seen clips of it. And it's like that clip from Cersei. Is that how you say her name? Cersei, yeah. Yeah, where she's like, let me show you what real power is. And, mm -hmm. you know, and real power is being able to tell people, kill this person, and they'll do it without even asking. And that's the sort of power that Rigel used to have and that the Empress currently has. Right. There is no no peaceful out. Like, the good option is a tough option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for certain. So... So the whole reason that John's kiss with Katrala, whose DNA has been poisoned, is a success. The whole reason that John's DNA is compatible with Katrala's... Now, Katrala, remember, had uh, poisoned DNA. Is because he's human. He is human. And therefore just off kilter enough from other sebations that whatever poison happened to her, it doesn't work with him. And Katrala and Taino bring him to this machine room where they are doing more genetic testing and they can also project an image of a potential child. And I don't know. I've always find these scenes hard to watch in a weird way, not because they're bad or anything, but they're just so intense emotionally mm. because Katrala says, infant boy, please. And in her arms, there's a hollow projection of what their infant child would look like. And the look on John's face, up to this point, he's been protesting, like he's been walking around, keeping a distance from everybody. And he very much feels like the outsider there. But then suddenly his, his whole face changes. And he is just enthralled with the idea of a child. And one that his child, you know? And it's just... It's so intense. And then Aaron walks in at this point. John does not see her, but she sees him interacting with, with the baby. And then um, like a small child is projected later. And it's really, you know, I, maybe I'm feeling what Aaron's feeling. It's just like he wants this so much. He wants to have a kid. He wants to have a family. He wants to have that full relationship with a whole, whole package. And she walks out unable to take it. And that's kind of how I feel watching it. It's just like, it's so intense. It feels so personal and private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because John has lost at this point his entire family. And I think that maybe that's what gets him is this would be his family, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just feels like in John, there's just such this painful loneliness. And then he sees a child. And I think that that's the first time that this becomes more than a problem to be solved that this becomes a possibility for happiness. Yeah. Because I think that 
while neither of them are in love with each other, they both kind of understand that you can have a happy life with somebody and you can grow to love somebody. And he oh, yeah. immediately loves these these holographic children. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's so cute because like she's holding the baby and like Ben Browder is like is like shading the baby's face because they have like these really bright spotlights on them. And like you can tell it's actually just because the, like she's physically holding like an infant and they don't want the lights in the poor baby's <laughs> eyes. And it's so cute. Yeah. Oh, it's like the whole scene is really, really good. It really is. And it's very intense. It's just really, really intense. Up until we find out that about the statue (laughs) (laughs) oh my god the statue could i just say political genius right there right of forcing your future rulers to actually learn what they're doing before making them rule yeah i mean and (laughs) it's interesting because then like literally all governance must happen in this one hall you know yeah well and it makes sense though because you want continuity of leadership so john has to become a statue for 80 cycles and Catrala too but yeah Catrala too they both do because the the way it works is that they want to they want the future leaders to actually see what leading looks like so that they understand the decisions that were made by the previous rulers Mm -hmm. and so John immediately goes to er er, to Chiana and Dargo and it is flips his shit oh Oh my my god God. okay no but you have to set it up he walks in (laughs) and Dargo is under the covers and Chiana is enjoying his ministrations let's put it like that (laughs) and John just walks in kind of like did you hear about the statue and then says like hi Chiana because Chiana's like (laughs) naked on the bed (laughs) and Dargo's like no John why don't you stay and tell us about it and he says it like like please go away but John does not go away (laughs) No, he doesn't. Anyway, Chiana does go away because she's, you know, she doesn't want to deal with him. But then John and Dargo have this amazing heart to heart conversation about it. And, oh, it's so raw. And it's just, this is one of those, like, another one of those defining moments of their friendship. Mm-hmm. Because we've talked about John and Dargo's growing friendship. And Vetus Mortis, there's this bond that's really developing about. I could be there for you at the end of Venus Mortis when when Dargo doesn't want him there but does want him there eventually because he, he he needs his friend and this is the situation where John really needs a friend right now and oh I'm gonna play the middle part of that conversation to start with because it just it summarizes how much is at stake for John emotionally. Perhaps that's why they've endured 1900 cycles of peace. It works. You're like a brochure. You have to go through with it, John. Eighty cycles. (laughs) My college loans will be delinquent. I'll miss the strippers on my 100th birthday. I'll get a utility bill for three trillion dollars for a single porch light that I left on and everybody I know will be dead. The alternative is having your brain dissected by Scorpius. Humans do not live as long as Sebations or Hynarians or Delvians. 
when I get back, everyone, my dad, DK, my sisters, Cameron Diaz, Buffy the Vampire Slayer will be dead. Well, you may never see these people again anyway. Hope, Darko, it's what keeps you going. You're gonna see your son. I'm gonna get home. Hope. I have hope. Or I'm nothing. I have hope or I am nothing. Oh, that just gets me every single time. Mm. And it also, I don't know, it kind of feels like John being pushed to his limit again, but in a different way. Because now he's reaching the limit of his ability to to kind of see that future that he's always seen so clearly. Like he's always seen mm-hmm. really clearly, I am going to go home and everything is going to be fine. And if he does this, that's gone. Yeah. And I don't know that he really exists without that. Yeah. It's a complete reframing of his own internal story. And that is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if you've had these moments in your life where you're like at a point where you have to make two decisions and then one's alternate universe you and one's real you. Mm -hmm. But it's like it's like that jumping off a cliff feeling except worse. Yeah, because the other points like that for John have all been made for him, right? Mm -hmm. The ancients chose to put wormhole knowledge in his head without his consent. Scorpius kidnapped him and is now chasing him, doing things to him. But if he does this, then on his own, he's making that decision. Yeah, And I think that that's part of what's terrifying for him. Because it's one thing when Scorpius is going to be chasing you to the ends of the earth and you don't really have any control over that. But here he has to choose. Give up the dream that's the only thing sustaining him or die at Scorpius's hand. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of love that Dargo is the one keeping John's aliveness, John's survival in mind here in front and center. Mm-hmm. Like... John, this is so huge for John. He knows his option is death, but he can't, still can't quite bring himself. It should be a no-brainer, but it's not a no-brainer. And Dargo is the voice of reminding him that Scorpius is going to kill you. And it's Mm going to be bad. It's going to be painful and awful and you'll be dead. And I just love that that Dargo cares so much for John that he keeps bringing that up and says, you have to go through with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John kind of references Dargo being like a brochure because this whole way Dargo has really been the one that's been pushing, pushing, pushing for John to make the decision to marry the princess and yeah. to become, you know, I assume it's actually more like consort than actually like they call him a regent. Maybe that's their term for it, but yeah. it's essentially would be consort. I also want to point out <laughs> John is making like a lot of like late 90s, early aughts references here. <laughs> Cameron Diaz and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Farscape Farscape aired concurrent with the later seasons of Buffy, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very, very relevant at the time. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I think it's just funny because like most of Farscape's references are pretty good at being like temporally neutral, you know, mm-hmm. or like old enough that, you know, pretty much everybody like, you know, Three Stooges and stuff like that. But yeah. this is one time when I'm like, oh, yeah, this was like, this is definitely early thousands. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and this quote also reveals that John has sisters, mm-hmm. which is the first time we've heard of them. Mm-hmm. That, that I kind of always like that. I have sisters. It makes me feel good. <laughs> which it kind of, I don't know, it feels like if John's really, if John's relationship with his father was so difficult, it makes you wonder what the father's relationship was with the sisters. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's something to think yeah. about. Yeah. So Dargo kind of talks John into accepting it by kind of talking about it. John creating his own new destiny. Mm-hmm. Like this is a whole new opportunity for you. But then afterwards, John and Aaron have a conversation because John has decided to go through with it. And Aaron confronts him about it because I think Aaron is still in. We can make a plan. We can get through this, which I think even Aaron knows running away to the desert is not going to stop Scorpius from finding them. It's a desperate plan. But here they are at the end. So you're going to listen to Dargo over me, are you? Is that right? The Empress has made it clear. I marry her daughter or she hands me to Scorpius. 80 cycles is a statue. It's better than Scorpius! Is it? He's in my hand. It's back of my mind, corner of my eye. He scares me. Aaron and I can't shake him. I don't know what you're talking about, but there's never been anything we couldn't overcome together. to each other. I can't come to the wedding. I want you there. Don't be absurd. I need you there. Aaron, don't you think that there are things to say. At this point, what else can we say except goodbye? You're right. You're always right. Oh my God, there's so much in that. Ouch. It hurts so much because she's there she wants him to not go through with it he's going to go through with it and i guess the first thing i want to talk about is when he says scorpius scares me and it's just so raw Mm -hmm. and the corner of my eye the back of my head put a pin in that thought if you haven't seen the series before um that's all i'll say about it but just that that feeling of that PTSD that John lives with the fear of Scorpius every single moment of every single day and he can't shake it and he is terrified mm-hmm. and so yeah he's going to marry the princess oh yeah for certain and I think that that kind of there's a lot of emotions in that scene because there's this feeling of loss that John has kind of come to accept where John wants her there because he's losing her you know even if even if Aaron was willing to stick around for 80 cycles, their relationship ends here. And it's so that's this feeling of loss. And then it's Aaron's just anger. And then her also realizing that what she wants is John. Mm -hmm. And I think she's been struggling with that this whole episode. She doesn't want him as a friend. She wants, she can't be there because she's not a friend, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She can't be there because she cannot bear the thought of watching him be taken away from her. Mm-hmm. And then there's also, you know, that feeling of terror, like right in your gut. You know, this idea where she's like, you know, 
Aaron is like, you know, whatever, Scorpius, he'd be better than this. And John is like, no way. Yeah. No. (laughs) There's that feeling also. And then just kind of, and then just ending on this note of, you know, finality. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she says all there's left is, is to say goodbye, where goodbye between them is a very symbolic thing because we had back at the end of season one and again at Mind the Baby, they don't say goodbye to each other, hoping it's not goodbye. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the fact that she's saying it now is like, is like, okay, it's done. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what's so heartbreaking about that sentence. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a callback to all the times when they, when they wouldn't say goodbye because they were going to see each other again. Yeah. Because they had to hope there's hope again mm-hmm. hope that they would see each other and that's what gets them through it yeah it's good it's really good and then john is continues dressing after aaron storms off after that scene and then some guards come in and beat the crap out of him and it's the crown prince who has arranged for this whole mess to begin with with the scarens trying to take him out we end the cliffhanger of part one with John being held by these other people and being fried with this weird thing that makes his face look like a crazy mirror. Yeah. It's great. Yep. <laughs> it's it's like really similar to the ending of uh, Nerve. Yeah. Yeah. So wardrobe watch, Zan is wearing her Egyptian collar thing, mm-hmm. but not the high necked dress. Yep. Everybody else is in season two costumes except for Chiana who's naked. <laughs> and John at the end is wearing the local white and red colors for mm-hmm. his wedding outfit. Yep. What would you give this episode? Oh, this is five. Yeah. I feel like it's yeah. I feel like it's like a five for me as well, but it's mostly five in the context of the other Look at yeah. the Princess episodes. Yeah. Yeah. But there's so much going on here. Like, this is going to be one of our longer episodes because we were just trying to get from plot point to point to point to point because it's so dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and we didn't even get to, like, some of the We didn't like, get to Zan. Story. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get to Zan. Like, you know, but all you need to know, Zan and Pilot starburst away and then they were called somewhere. And, and that's we'll it. talk about that next episode because that yeah. becomes a bigger part of the story. Which I'd totally forgotten that that point, like I'd totally forgotten the Zan, like, that that particular Zan and Pilot and Moya plot yeah. line was in this episode. Right, right. So yeah, anyway. there's a lot going on. It's great. Yeah. It's great. So tune in next week for a look at the princess part two. It's going to be very exciting. Super exciting. And if you like us, uh, please follow us on Gmail and Tumblr and Dreamwith, where we are Farscape Friday Podcasts. On Twitter, we are Farscape Friday. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's how other people find us. And we will see you next time. Bye.